Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Thank you, Pastor Mark. I really do want to start off saying that I relish the opportunity to, to speak before you guys, to share what God is laying on my heart. Um, I, I really do uh, view this as a privilege and an honor. Uh, so let's jump right into it. Genesis one twenty six. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. If you have been coming to Anchor Faith Church at any length of time at all, then it is no surprise to you that we go back to Genesis one twenty six a lot here. And it shows uh, what we value in this church, that this church talks a lot about identity, and this church talks a lot about purpose. Identity is who you are. And Genesis 1.26 relegates that where God gives out to Adam and Eve who they are. And you can never know who you are until you go back to the beginning, back to the origin. But then we also deal with purpose in Genesis 1.26. Purpose is not who you are. Purpose is what to do. And they're interconnected. You can never know what to do until you know who you are. And you can never know who you are if you don't go back to the original intention. So Genesis 1.26 is where we're at. We're going to read verses 26, 27, and 28. So three verses for us. And I'm feeling a little... I don't, I don't know the right word for it. Frisky just sounds not right, but um, I'm feeling a little bit of call and response tonight, okay? Because we're going to focus on Adam and Eve. So God really had to pull me back. I have had a word kind of germinating inside of me for a couple of weeks now, and I thought we were going to focus on Eve. And yesterday, God kind of pulled me back a little bit, and he said, no, I want you to focus on Adam Um, Because this is going to be a two-part deal. You didn't know that this was a two-part special kind of a BOGO, that you're going to get me tonight and you're going to get me next Wednesday. All right, so we'll save that for next week that we'll talk about Eve. So tonight we're going to focus on Adam. But I want to do a little bit of call and response, meaning when I point to you guys, I want you to say the words Adam and Eve. I'm going to read Genesis 1, 26, 27, and 28. And these verses mention Adam and Eve several times. But they always mention to them, I'm going to get Englishy on you for a second. I'm an English teacher by trade. They mention to them in these wonderful things called pronouns. Okay, so they mention them as them and they. You didn't realize this was English class. And we, uh, and him and her, him, him and her. But I want, to, I want us to solidify the point that they're talking about Adam and Eve. So let's try this. When I point at you, I want loud, strong, powerful Adam and Eve. Okay, got it? One, two, three. All right, now I'm going to read it, and we're going to skip those pesky pronouns. And when I point at you, I want you to say Adam and Eve. All right, Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. We'll reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Verse 27. So God created in his own image. In the image of God, he created male and female. He created. Then God blessed and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth in government. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. You guys get an A+. Way to go. I am just so proud. Awesome job. 
you can follow directions, all right? There is hope for our future. You can follow directions. Tonight, if I were to give this message a title, it would be Beyond Adam. We're going to talk about what happens beyond Adam. And I'll give you a preview for next week for our BOGO special. We're going to talk about Beyond Eve. But let's talk about Beyond Adam. I'm going to try to stay close to my notes because I, 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 I want to stay close to this because sometimes I, I, I don't want to branch away. So I might, I might try to stay here for a second. What we want to see here in Genesis 1, 26, 27, and 28 is that God's original design for man, for Adam and Eve, came with great intention. It was not by accident. It was not by coincidence. It was not by happenstance that they were made with a purpose and an identity with great intention. Okay? And that's the way that God works. And here in verse 28, God gives Adam and Eve specific, measurable duties. That's what verse 28 is about. That in verse 26, he creates them in the image of God. Verse 28, he commands them and gives them specific, measurable, meaning that these duties, these responsibilities could be measured, pass or fail, A or F. You get it or you don't. Measurable tasks, okay? Some of these duties were mutual, meaning they were both for Adam and Eve, that they were co-bearers of these duties. Are you with me? Some duties that we'll get to at near the end of tonight were exclusive, meaning that there were some things that were Adam's job that were not Eve's job. And there were some things that were Eve's job that were not Adam's job. So let's focus on the mutual duties of Adam and Eve. Verse 28, we see five mutual duties, meaning that God is talking to both of them, as you guys so eloquently responded, Adam and Eve. These were mutual duties. Verse 28, I'm going to read one more time. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. In verse 28, we see five specific measurable duties for both Adam and Eve. Again, this was for both of them. And I want to break down these five things because a lot of times they get lumped together that we think, oh, be fruitful and multiply, that's the same thing. Those are not the same thing. Fill the earth, oh, that's the same thing as multiplying. These are not the same things. So there are five different duties that are given here. Let's break this down. To be fruitful. Now, I am kind of a language guy, so I did look back at the Hebrew. I'm not in any way a Hebrew scholar, but I did look back at the original language, the original word used here, and the English falls short. We're going to see that that's where, that's where we get into trouble where these things are lumped together, but they're five different things. So being fruitful, the Hebrew word is called para, and it does not mean expansion. A lot of times we think God says, oh, be fruitful, and that means, well, bluntly speaking, go have babies. That is not what it's talking about here, okay? He is not talking about go and have offspring and go and make babies. Para does not mean that. Para actually speaks to health. It speaks to the health of the individual person. So what we have here is being fruitful has nothing to do with procreation. 
He is not telling them to go and procreate, not in the be fruitful task. What he's telling them is to blossom. That's what the word actually means. A fruit, think about a fruit if we have any gardeners or farmers or anything. The fruit, before it comes out, appears as a flower, a flower blossom. That's the image that's given when it talks about being fruitful, that he's telling task number one, mutual task for Adam and Eve, is to blossom, to be healthy where they are. And this connects to later on Jesus' words when Jesus is talking to the disciples in Matthew 7, 22, he talks about that many will come to him and say, well, Lord, Lord, I spoke your name, I, I exercised demons, I did all of these things. Jesus is not measuring us by our ability in this task to procreate or to make converts. He's speaking to, how was your heart? Were you blossoming in yourself? Were you blossoming in your own position? Task, mutual task number one, mutual responsibility number one for Adam and Eve, where they were to blossom in the earth, in the garden. They were to be healthy. And this health has to do, a lot of these tasks have to do with a relationship with something or someone. This connects to their relationship with God. You cannot be healthy in this sense apart from God. So this blossoming would only happen if their relationship with God is healthy. You with me? So task number one is they were to be fruitful, which means that he wants them to blossom in their relationship with him, okay? Task number two, going back to Genesis 128, is to multiply, multiply. Now, this is the one, this actually does mean the traditional sense is that he does want them to duplicate themselves, He does want them to duplicate and make many versions of themselves. However, again, the English does fall short. The English falls short here. The Hebrew word is rabah, and what it means is to enlarge, but not by a little bit. It means to enlarge by a vast amount. And the connotation here that is created is rabah means to take something that can be counted and to turn it into something that cannot be counted. That's what that word multiply means. He's not talking about simple addition like I had to do when I was in school. Not a math guy by any means. One plus one equals two. He's talking about true multiplication. That if I duplicate myself and I create another entity that looks, acts, and thinks just like me, and then this creation will also do the same. And this creation will also do the same. So you're taking something that cannot be counted and you're turning it into something, I'm sorry, you're taking something that can be counted and you're turning it into something that cannot be counted. That's what multiply means. So task number two for Adam and Eve, this was a mutual task, they both were needed on this one, was to take themselves and to make duplicates until they cannot be counted. This is the same words that is used in Genesis 16.10. It should be on the screen, Genesis 16.10. I want us to see this, because Genesis 16.10 is God's words to Hagar. Now, if you don't know this story, we know about Abraham, 
how Abraham is the father of the nation of Israel, that God comes to him in Genesis chapter 12, and God says, I'm going to make you a father of many nations, right? And he gives them this promise that Abraham's going to have descendants that cannot be counted, right? But that's not the verse I have here, because we know that one, is that God tells Abraham, your, your descendants will be more than the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky. Well, Abraham, a little bit, a few chapters later, tries to short-circuit that because God's promise was through Sarah, his wife, and he sleeps with her, her maidservant, Hagar, and he has a son named Ishmael, okay? Well, what happens here is Sarah is jealous because her husband uh, slept with the maidservant and has a son, and so they kick Hagar out. And it looks like she's going to die in the desert. And God comes to Hagar, and Genesis 16.10 is what he tells her. Genesis 16.10 says, then he, the he is God, then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. That word give is that word rabah. It means to multiply. So God tells Hagar, I am going to multiply you beyond what you can be counted. But I want to make a distinction here. Our first word is not used fruitful. When the Abrahamic promise is given, God tells him, you will be fruitful and multiply, meaning that you will multiply and be healthy. Genesis 16, 10, he tells her she's going to multiply. He does not tell her her descendants will be healthy. That's that distinction. You with me? About being fruitful and multiplying. They're not the same thing. Being multiplied, meaning you're going to take something that can be counted and turn it into something that cannot be counted. Hagar got that promise. Ishmael's descendants would turn into the the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, all the enemies of Israel. They would multiply, but they would not be fruitful. Okay? That's task number two. Task number three, mutual task of Adam and Eve, is fill the earth. And again, this is one that we think often, I, 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 I thought this, it just means make babies. You know, fill the earth with lots of babies. That's not what this word actually means. Now, I am building to a point. The fill the earth, their third task, does not mean to multiply. This word is malah, and it means to consecrate. This word means to consecrate, which is a fancy word in itself, right? To consecrate something means to set it apart for a special use. So God gives Adam and Eve the task of being fruitful, meaning be healthy, blossom, multiply, make something that can be counted, turned into something that cannot be, and consecrate, set apart things in the earth for special use. This is the exact same word that's used in Exodus Exodus 28, 41. Exodus 28, 41 is... After the children of Israel had come out of Egypt, Moses has led them out, and now they're establishing themselves as a nation. God has given them the Ten Commandments, and he's telling them how they are supposed to operate as his chosen people. And they have these things called priests, right? Levitical priests. And God tells them in Exodus 28, 41, he's talking to Moses. He says, clothe your brother Aaron 
and his sons with these garments and then anoint and ordain them. Consecrate, that is that word that's used in Genesis 1.28. That word fill the earth actually means to consecrate them so they can serve as my priests. So fill the earth does not mean the same thing as du- as multiplication, as duplicate yourself. What it means is to consecrate, to set th- something apart, to take something and to set it aside for special use. That's mutual task number three of Adam and Eve. They were to be fruitful, to blossom. They were to multiply, duplicate themselves. And they were to consecrate the earth. They were to fill it with things for special use. Okay? Now we get into task number four and task number five. Genesis one twenty-eight. he gives them the five tasks, right? Mutual tasks for Adam and Eve. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And then the next word is govern. Now, I don't have a fancy Hebrew word for this one because we know what government is all about. But I will tell you, this is not a nice word. And we, would, we might would agree with that with our, our polarized view of government, right? This is a nasty word. This is a word that in modern day would probably be in danger of being canceled, okay? <laughs> this word govern literally means to take something and to put it into bondage. That's the Hebrew connotation of the word, is to take something and make it your slave. And actually, so that the Bible, the Old Testament as we're reading was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. But parts of the Old Testament is written in Aramaic, okay? The Aramaic equivalent of this word govern actually means to beat something until it is nearly dead. That's not a nice word. That's not a nice word at all. This is coming from Almighty God. Adam and Eve, I want you to be healthy. That sounds nice. I want you to multiply, make babies, okay? I want you to consecrate, set apart things, but then I want you to find the things of the earth and I want you to beat them until they're nearly dead. (laughs) We took a turn there, didn't we? We took a turn. That's what that word govern means. This is the same equivalent of the word in Greek that Paul would use in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm sorry, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. When he says, I take my body, it's 1 Corinthians 9, 27. I discipline my body like an athlete. Some translations say, I beat my body, training it so that it will do what it should. Paul's talking about there taking his physical body, his physical flesh, and bringing it under his own control. Taking something that is going against the will of God and bringing it into bondage. That's the word govern. That's task number four of Adam and Eve. Is that God wants them to take the things of the earth and bring them into subjection. Make slaves. Okay? Task number five. Task number five is to reign, and we finally get to a word that was translated correctly. (laughs) Good old English. We finally get to a word that actually means what we think it means. Reign means to reign. 
to rule, to have complete and total authority over. It is a royal word. It is given to royalty, to kingly people, (laughs) and that they are to reign. If you've been with us for any length of time, you notice we've been talking about reigning a lot. This year, 2021, has been labeled by this church as the year to reign. That yeah, last year, 2020, for many people, was a scary year, terrifying year. But we, as a church, came out stronger, better, higher because of that. Because of the work that we did in 2020, that we said no to a virus, that we said no to fear, that we said no to the lies and the deceptions of the enemy. And because of that, God is turning this year into the year to reign for Anchor Faith Church. So what we have here is a true sense of the word that task number five, mutual task for Adam and Eve, was that they were to reign. They were to rule the earth. Pastor Mark said on Sunday, he used the, the phrase, he was talking about binding and loosing. He, he, used, a, he used a scripture that I actually, a little, a little bit I was upset with him on Sunday because he used it. And I, and I, I sent him a message a couple of days later saying, he totally stole my, stole my scripture. And it's the scripture um, that Jesus renames Peter. That Peter, his, his real name was Simon, but Jesus renames him into Peter, and he goes on to tell Peter, on this rock I will build my church, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind and loose on earth will be bound and loosed in heaven, right? And Pastor Mark said, binding and loosing indicates a posture of authority. If you can bind and loose something, that means that you are in a state of authority. Now, luckily, God, God had other plans because I don't think we'll get to that scripture tonight. That will be more next week when we talk about Eve because whether we realize it or not, Eve is all wrapped up in that scripture. That connects to an original task of Eve. But I don't want to spoil that. We'll get to that next week, okay? So you have to come back. You have to come back. But what, what I'm saying here is that that is a posture of authority. That's where Adam and Eve were. Task number five is for them to bind and loose things that were not in alignment with their say-so in the earth, that they were the reigning people, that they were the king and queen of the earth, that they were to reign and rule. Okay? So what we have here is the five mutual duties of Adam and Eve. Both of them were supposed to be fruitful. Both of them were supposed to multiply. Both of them were supposed to fill the earth, meaning to consecrate the earth. Both of them were supposed to govern. Both of them were supposed to reign. And they could not do it without the other person. I want us to get that, that Adam could not be fruitful without Eve, that Eve could not multiply without Adam. They needed each other to do this. These were mutual tasks of both of them, okay? But what we get to is that some of these duties were not contingent upon perfection. What I mean by that is that Adam and Eve were in the garden, Genesis 1, and everything's all perfect, right? Sin has not entered the world. That doesn't happen until Genesis chapter 3. But Genesis chapter 3, sin happens. They eat the fruit of the snake. They relinquish authority to Satan. 
But some of these tasks did not change. Three of them to be exact. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9, we see Noah. So another familiar Bible character, Bible person. Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. After Adam and Eve fell, after they sinned, they ate the fruit. The Bible tells us that the word the world became more and more wicked, right? And God reached a point that he wanted to cleanse the earth and start over with Noah and his family. So that happens, that the flood happens, the earth is cleansed, everybody's wiped out except for Noah. Genesis chapter 9 is kind of Garden of Eden 2.0 because God comes to Noah and his sons and he gives them three mutual tasks. Notice what he says. Genesis chapter 9 verse 1. Then God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, be fruitful and multiply Fill the earth. Have we seen this before? Have we seen this before? This is the exact same words. The Mara and the Rabbah. I don't remember what the third one was. <laughs> the same Hebrew words. What he's saying is to Noah and his sons, be fruitful. I want you to blossom and be healthy. Multiply, duplicate yourself so that it can't be counted. And fill the earth, consecrate things, set them apart. But notice what comes next. All the animals of the earth, all the birds of the sky, all the small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the fish in the sea will look on you with fear and terror. Well, that doesn't sound like governing and reigning. The verse would go on to say, I have placed them in your power. But that word power does not, it's not the word govern. It's not the word reign. That word power, it's actually kind of a a little bit of a mistranslation, what it actually means is these animals will suffer under you. It doesn't mean that you're going to govern them and reign over them. It means that they're going to be scared of you. And they're going to suffer under you. So what we have here is that task number one, two, and three are not contingent upon perfection. Those didn't change. Noah and his sons are not perfect. Christ has not come and saved them of their sins. So they could still, they still had the ability to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. What they did not have the ability to do was govern and reign. God didn't give them that task because they couldn't do it. Those are contingent upon perfection. They needed to be perfect. And that's so true. What this means is the first three duties are a result of us being image bearers of God. Every person in this room, every person on this planet is an image bearer of God. As a human being, you were created in God's image. Right? Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter where you come from, doesn't matter your bank account, doesn't matter matter about your mama and daddy, you are an image bearer of God. So everyone has the ability to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And we can see this. I mean, we can see the media duplicates itself. (laughs) We can see the media has the ability to take a thought and to multiply it across the spectrum and to infiltrate minds. We can see things that are healthy according to the world standards and actually the way that they spend the rhetoric. 
We can see something as simple as wearing a mask, listening to the government, and they spin it to say, oh, it's actually a kind thing to do, right? That this is what the, the normal thing is. They have that ability to normalize the abnormal because they're operating in one of those image-bearer qualities that anybody has the ability to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, consecrate things, set things apart. That's an image-bearer of God. The other two tasks, task number four and five, only come to the children of God because there's a difference. Every person on the planet is an image-bearer of God. Not every person on the planet is a child of God. I'll say that again. Every person on the planet is an image-bearer of God. That's automatic. If you're a human being, you are made in the image and likeness of God. But not everyone, every person on the planet is a child of God because that only comes through the blood of Christ. That only comes through the restoration that Christ made for us to govern and to reign. Okay? You guys doing okay? Y'all with me? Am I going too fast? You good? Okay, let's keep on going. What I want to get to now is we have seen the five mutual duties of Adam and Eve, right? But remember the title of this message is Beyond Adam. So I want to look at the exclusive duties of Adam. There were things that were Adam's job that were not Eve's job. There were things that Adam was supposed to do and empowered to do that Eve was not. So to see this, we have to go to Genesis chapter 2. So Genesis 1.28 is the mutual tasks of Adam and Eve. They both could do that. Genesis 2, starting in verse 15, are the exclusive duties of Adam. Genesis chapter 1 is kind of an overview of creation. This is the seven days when God creates the world. Genesis chapter 2 is a microscope on creation. It's the specifics. Genesis chapter 2, 15 The Lord God placed the man, Adam, in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. There's two duties right there. Exclusive to Adam. He was to tend the garden and he was to watch the garden. Keep on going. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. This is task number three of Adam, is that he is supposed to secure and repeat the word of God. Do you know that nowhere in Scripture is it said that God says that to Eve? That we have no tangible evidence that God directly told Eve that she was not supposed to eat the fruit? That she got that information from Adam? Because it was his job, task number three of Adam, to secure and repeat the word of God. That was not her job. That was his job. And we see this a little bit in Genesis chapter 3 when the snake is talking to Eve. And the snake comes and he says, can you not eat of of every tree of the garden? And Eve says, we can eat of any tree in the garden except the one in the middle. We can't eat of it, nor can we touch it. You know, God never said they couldn't touch it. 
what we have there is a failure of Adam to secure and repeat the word of God. Because he told his wife something that wasn't true. At least according to what we have. Okay? So that's task number three of Adam. Is he supposed to be that arbiter of the word of God? Keep on going. We'll see <clears throat> another task of Adam. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. Still, there was no helper just right for him. Next task for Adam is to name things of the earth. So he was supposed to tend the garden, watch the garden, secure and repeat the word of God, and name the things of the earth. We see this later on. He, first, God brings him the animals to name. And of those animals, there wasn't a right helper for him, a helpmate. So God, here we in verse 21, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. This is the, 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 a microscope on the formation of Eve. That Adam has named the animals. He fulfilled that duty, that task. And God creates Eve, and notice what he does. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman. He names her. He does his duty. He names Eve. We get her name from Adam. So another exclusive duty of Adam is to name things. You know, it was never Eve's job to name something. That is a job of Adam. That's not on Eve. That's on Adam to name things. <clears throat> what we have here, again to repeat, is that the exclusive duties of Adam were not the duties of Eve. And we see this later on in Genesis 3 when they fall and God gives them their each, each of their curses. That the curse of Eve has nothing to do with the garden and it has nothing to do with agriculture. Because it was not her job to tend the garden. It was not her job to watch the garden. Those were exclusive duties of Adam. Her duty was to reign, to govern, to be fruitful, to multiply. That's that procreate one. So that's why her curse has to do with procreation, pain and childbirth. Because she failed in her duty, in that duty. Adam's job was to watch over the garden, so he... And his curse is specific agriculturally. A curse of the land, a curse of the earth. Okay? Still with me? All of that is to set up, why is this message called Beyond Adam? Because we can all agree, Adam and Eve failed. They failed. They were in fault. They lost 
task number four and five, the ability to govern and reign. But this is called Beyond Adam because of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Turn with me there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we see Paul call Jesus the second Adam. And this is something we'll have to get for next week in that tonight we will see that Jesus is the second Adam. Jesus is the fulfiller of every single one of those duties. That Jesus came to this earth and he fulfilled the five mutual duties of Adam and Eve. And he fulfilled and continues to fulfill the exclusive duties of Adam. Tending the garden, watching the garden, naming things. Jesus is the second Adam. What we'll see next week is there is a second Eve. So again, come back for that one. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. Here we have Paul writing to the church. And he's going to use this language that really echoes Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 20 and go through 25. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Notice that Paul is going to use agricultural language here. He's calling what Christ did a harvest. And what he's really talking about is Jesus coming to the earth, dying and rising again. So that we could be empowered with authority here on the earth. But he calls it a harvest. That is agricultural language hearkening back to the Garden of Eden. To Adam's task. So you. So you see. Just as death came into the world through a man. That man is Adam. Now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. That man is Jesus. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam. Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. After that, the end will come when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. What we have here, church is the second Adam, Jesus, reclaims the authority and the duties that the first Adam lost. In these verses, he operates in the three that they could have aside from perfection, and he brings back the two that they lost outside of perfection, the governing and the reigning. Look at the language, verse 20. Verse 20, he calls a great harvest. That Christ brought a great harvest. Well, that is the specific duty of multiplication. That is Christ fulfilling Adam's duty to multiply. A harvest means that you have put something into the ground, and now it is making more of itself and springing out. That's exactly what Christ did. That he went into the earth as a son of God, as the son of God, in order to create more sons of God. That is the harvest of, excuse me, multiplication. That he duplicated himself. That he took one thing himself that could be counted and he turned it into something that cannot be counted. Members of the kingdom of God. 
citizens of the kingdom of God. That is the task of multiplying. Verse 22. In verse 22, 1 Corinthians 15, he uses the language, given new life. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. This is the equivalent of fruitfulness. This is, is, the, this is the equivalent of health, of blossoming. If you have new life, then you now have the renewed ability to blossom. You now have the renewed ability to be fruitful. That comes and Christ fulfills that duty, that task, the task of being fruitful. Let's keep on going. Verse 23. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ raised as the first of the harvest, then all who belong to Christ, all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. This is Christ fulfilling the task of consecration. Or in our translation, filling the earth. Because remember, to fill the earth means to consecrate, to set aside to set aside for a special use. When Christ came, died, and rose again, he set aside his people, his remnant. He consecrated them so that now anyone who belongs to Christ will be raised again. That's Christ fulfilling that duty of Adam to fill the earth, to consecrate and set aside. Verse 24. Now we get to the good stuff. After the end, after that, the end will come when he will turn the kingdom of God the Father, turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. There's that nasty word, govern. To take something, to beat it until it is nearly dead, and to make it your slave. Christ has returned our ability to govern. Christ has returned our ability to take things of the earth and put them under our feet. Put them under our rule. And then verse 25. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. That is task number five, to reign. That because of the sacrifice of Christ... All five tasks have been returned. Through death, burial, and resurrection, Christ has restored what Adam lost. So he returned those five mutual tasks. And the story doesn't stop there. Thankfully, he also regained all of Adam's exclusive duties. The Bible tells us in Ephesians that Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. His job is to be our mediator. His job is to be our intercessor. His job is to tend and watch the garden of the earth. Right this very moment, Christ is watching over the earth. The Bible says that where two or more are gathered, he is in our presence. He is watching over our gatherings. He is watching over our comings together. He's fulfilling the exclusive duties that Adam lost, to tend and watch the garden. As far as naming, he is the literal word of God. So Adam's job to secure and repeat the word of God, he does that automatically, praise the Lord. 
He is the literal word of God. And we'll get into a little bit later next week, Matthew 16, when he does rename, he does operate in naming things. He takes a Simon and he turns him into Peter. He takes a Saul and he turns him into Paul. He does rename things. He does name things and give them special purpose. He does fulfill that duty and that task of naming things that Adam lost. <clears throat> Last verse, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave us. Romans chapter 5. Now that we've got all of this about Christ and what he did and what he gained, now we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean for us? Here on the earth. What does it mean for us? <clears throat> Romans chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 14. And I'm going to start on the second half of that verse. Now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. Again, Jesus is the second Adam. He fulfills what Adam lost. Verse 15. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sins of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. We will not tarry long, but I want to bring this to a point. <clears throat> and I, I need you as individuals... And I need us as a church to realize what we have. That those tasks of Adam and Eve to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth. We may have been doing those things. You may be sitting here now. And you're healthy. Your finances are healthy. Your body is healthy. You may have been able to multiply a business, multiply a family. But what you have not been able to do outside of Christ is govern and to reign. That's what Christ brings back to us. And all the other tasks get all the sweeter too. Because Christ comes and he takes those three other tasks and he elevates them to perfection. He elevates them to where they were supposed to be in their original intention. So I want us to take a moment. And I want us to realize what Christ is offering. I know this is a Wednesday night. 
I know this is a midweek. But I also know that it would be naive of me to think that every single person in this room is living exactly according to God's will. That every person in this room fully has Christ as the Savior and Lord of their life. I know this is the core group for the most part. But I want us to take a moment as the worship team plays and to accept and reflect on what Christ has given to us. Because Jesus did not just come for you to go to heaven. Jesus did not just come so that you could be saved in your sins just waiting to get out of this place. That is not why he came. Jesus came so that you as a church body could govern and reign here on the earth. That has been restored. That has returned to us that it is now not just our ability, it is our duty, church, to reign and rule, to put things under our feet, to take things of this earth that don't align with God's will and to beat them until they are nearly dead. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.